Welcome to The Screen Queen, the show where I'll be talking about your favorite show or your favorite movie. You'll just have to find out what you're about to know. This is your Screen Queen, your host, Samantha Parrish. Hello there and welcome back to the show. This is your subscription to fiction. Your show, The Screen Queen, has returned. Thank you all so much for being patient while I took the time away to concentrate on the author fair, and I am happy to report that the author fair was a complete success, and I got the word out for my book series in Glorious Inc., and I also got the word out for the show, so um, hello to the new people out there that have found the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we are starting off this month on the Screen Queen with the Valentine's Day series. I do have to say that this is kind of a different experience for me because I'm not really the biggest fan of the romantic genre. It just doesn't really do it for me like it does it for other people. I have talked on the show before about some romantic scenes or some couples that get together, but everyone has their own preference when it comes to the genre, and uh, I'm very picky when it comes to romance movies, and it has to really impress me to make it in my list. And there's a very minimal list of romance movies on here that I have to admit I'm very excited to be able to talk about for why they're important or why they're underrated or just throw my hat in the ring and just express my love for the movie. You'll probably be very surprised what has made it on to this series of mine. So, starting off the series, we have a movie that has stood the test of time, but yet this movie keeps being put into the corner. And why do we have to keep putting this movie in the corner? Nobody should put that movie in the corner. Dirty Dancing is one of those movies that is just inescapable in its charm, but it's one of those movies that no one ever gets tired of. I've never really heard anyone say that they get tired of Dirty Dancing or they don't like Dirty Dancing. And surprisingly, the faults of this movie are strangely forgivable because of the way it's explained. There's a mature factor to this movie, and we almost didn't have Dirty Dancing. There are a couple of factors that play into that as we talk about the movie that was the giant sleeper hit of 1987. This is Dirty Dancing. So starting off this episode, let's talk about the start of Dirty Dancing. We would not have Dirty Dancing if it wasn't for the story of Eleanor Bergstein. Now, this is the name you need to remember for the duration of the episode because Eleanor is Dirty Dancing. This whole story comes from her life experience when her family went to the Catskills resorts during the 1960s. And this is going to ring a bell. Her father was a doctor. She was nicknamed Baby until she was 22 years old. And like Johnny Castle, Bergstein was a very skilled, quote-unquote, dirty dancer who learned to dance at the parties, and she later became an Arthur Murray instructor. Now, what I just read to you is from the trivia on the IMDb page for Eleanor Bergstein. So you can find exactly what I just read to you. Uh, <clears throat> it was from a 2008 interview. And knowing the fact that this whole movie is Eleanor Bergstein, which is amazing, but it's also amazing knowing how hard she had to work to get this story of hers on the big screen. 
She was not going to take no for an answer. There was music that she wanted for the movie. There were actors that she wanted for the movie. There were certain scenes she wanted for the movie. And the way she wrote it was the way it had to be. However, a lot of people were not really on board with Eleanor's vision of a 17-year-old girl uh, falling in love with a 30-year-old dancer. I mean, that does, uh, that's, <laughs> that definitely sounds problematic back in the day, but it was a struggle for Eleanor until she finally found a production team that wanted Dirty Dancing. She worked with a lot of people that wanted her vision to come to light. But that was also very costly, too. There was a lot of things she wanted, and they kept running out of money left and right for this movie. It cost a lot to make Dirty Dancing. And unfortunately, they didn't really have a lot of money for it. And Eleanor worked tirelessly until they finally got the movie done. So you kind of have to admire that, knowing that Dirty Dancing does come from a true story. Of the true account of this woman that literally, no pun intended had the time of her life. If you ever get the chance to watch the show, the movies that made us on Netflix, there is an episode about Dirty Dancing on the show where there's a further elaborate or elaboration, excuse me, elaboration <laughs> uh, of what Eleanor went through and some of the other key players that were involved. It is so worth your time. It changed the way that I saw Dirty Dancing and it made me think about the first time that I saw Dirty Dancing. And it is one of those movies that changed my life. And honestly, if it wasn't for Dirty Dancing, I don't think I would have had as much patience and uh, a leniency to be more accepting of romance movies. My mom wanted me to watch the movie. When I was 12 years old, I was finally getting to her collection. And my mom just could not wait anymore for me to watch the movies that she really loved growing up now that I was getting to watch some of these mature movies and the way I was handling them. And my mom was just like, you gotta watch Dirty Dancing. And I'm like, no, I draw the line at romance. I am about that Rambo life. I am about the CSI life. You, I gotta be given the intensity, the action, the thrills. I don't want this romance stuff going on. Get out of here. Well, I humored my mom. I honestly had no choice. She put it on, and of course, I'm like, well, I have no power. She has the remote control. Oh, well. And I accidentally loved it. <laughs> I remember I was just gripped by this movie for the way the story was told. It is very enchanting, and it's very enveloping for the way that you do fall in love with Baby and Johnny, and how... Baby does learn to dance, and I like the fact this is one of those rare romance movies where you can learn about both of the characters as an individual, and then you get to know them as a couple. It's kind of tricky with some romance movies, and when I first started writing my book series in Glorious Inc., and I had to incorporate romance, I'm like, wait, why do these people need to be together? What's the reason for being together? They shouldn't just be together to be together. And... Looking back on Dirty Dancing, it made me appreciate the writing for the fact that it gets a lot of flack for being a cheesy romance movie, but you get to know these cheesy romantic characters. It's one of those movies that you can watch over and over and over again, and then you end up learning new things about the movie that changes the way that you saw it. 
Just like how I mentioned earlier with the fact that this whole movie is just basically one fictional biotopic of Eleanor Bergstein's life, it does incorporate a lot of other people's stories too in the movie, like Patrick Swayze, and he's going to be our next point in the episode. It is no doubt that Patrick Swayze was one of the most hard-working people in the industry. That man had a work ethic that was so massive, you could look up work ethic in the dictionary and find a picture of his frustrated face from Dirty Dancing. This was like the pinnacle of his career, even though he was known for many other movies, and he actually had to try damn hard to shed his... Um, a stereotype of being depicted as a leading romantic man, but no matter what, he always has a soft spot for Dirty, Dirty Dancing and still praises what the movie did for him, not as an actor, but as an homage to his life. Patrick Swayze grew up on dancing. His mother, Patsy Swayze, was a dance instructor, and she even had her own ties to Hollywood as well, where she was the dance instructor for many movie productions. But for Patrick Swayze, dancing was his life, and he did it whenever he could. His early start, ironically, was in a music video entitled uh, Rosanna by Toto that had his future co-star that played Penny in the movie. I mean, shit, look at that. It's like it was meant to be. After the music video, there came a couple more projects, but then came the action movies, and he didn't really get to do another dancing movie, so when that came up, he's like, I'm on board, let's do it. And he did a lot of instructing. You just see this man emanate so much of his passion for dancing in the movie that there are some people, like, you can tell that they were just taught for the sake of the movie, but you knew just by looking at him that he is emanating Johnny Castle, but it's almost like he's not even playing Johnny Castle because of the way he took dancing so seriously with it being such a big part of his life. There's some really cool factors to seeing his work ethic as a dancer in the behind-the-scenes featurettes where he's teaching Jennifer Grey how to dance, and he would say, now you gotta trust me. Now these are football arms. I'm not gonna drop you. It's gonna be okay. And... Even his widow, Lisa Niemi, also helped with the movie, and she would be the stand-in for Jennifer Grey to teach some of the stuff. So this really was a whole production that had everyone involved that got to show their talent. However, as much as people had fun being able to be themselves in the movie, there was another problem in the movie, and it was the two leads, Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. They did not get along during the movie. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze did not have the time of their lives when they were working together in this movie. Oh no, it was bad. And it's, uh, it's kind of strange to look at it because their chemistry looks phenomenal. But you can also tell the movie they can't fucking stand each other. In some of the scenes, their work ethic had a major clash. This was a big testament to Jennifer Grey where she had never done anything this extraneous. And Patrick Swayze has already been used to uh, his way of dancing. So it was really bothering him that there sometimes Jennifer Grey was messing around and she wasn't taking it seriously. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? 
And you can tell in a lot of scenes, especially in the infamous uh, training sequence where she's laughing and, you know, Patrick is like, I'm fucking done. And this really proved to be a problem. And there was reports from a lot of the co-stars, some of the production teams that did see them fighting. They did bury the hatchet when they were in the movie. Patrick was like, all right, we're not getting anywhere. We got to get to the bottom of this. I really want this movie to work, and so do you. And I had to think about this, and I posed the question, like, well, why would you want to work with her if you couldn't stand her? And then it dawned on me about, well, they worked in the movie Red Dawn together. And I had forgotten that Jennifer Grey uh, was one of the, was a part of the group of actors that willingly took the course to be able to know how to fire an automatic weapon and thinking, well, shoot, if she willingly with the training to know how to fire a gun the right way, then she's going to want to know how to do all the dancing step for step, beat for beat, move for move. And I think that might be one of the reasons why he sought her out. But the amazing thing is that even though Jennifer Grey was really pushed to a mental and physical extent during this movie and then knowing years later she would go on to dancing with the stars and win and she wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for dirty dancing she even said in her acceptance speech when she won she said this is for you patrick because that was the year after he died dirty dancing did so much for the 80s and when we look at dirty dancing it's always tied to Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze that have become the icons of the movie. And it's kind of hard to think what it would have been like if it wasn't Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. Originally, uh, there was talk about getting Val Kilmer for Johnny Castle. And I can see Val Kilmer. He does have a lot of good physical endurance. And that was like fresh off of Top Gun. That would have been another hit for him. But Val Kilmer turned it down because he he said, and I quote, didn't want to play another hunky character. And it's like, I'm sorry, Val, but you're always going to be hunky <laughs> no matter what age you look like. But he just wasn't suited for the role. There are just some people that they could have the same physique. They could have the same... Uh, work ethic, but it's the charm. Everything works in this movie because of Patrick's love for dance. When you have a certain actor that has a background and a passion for the very thing that is the theme or topic of the movie, oh, it just sets the movie so much more to a level that's practically magical. It's hard to imagine a life without Dirty Dancing, but there were people back in 1987 that did envision a life that did not have Dirty Dancing. Eleanor Bergstein had her work cut out for a movie that people did not have faith in, even though she believed in it every step of the way, even if it didn't go anywhere. The fact that Eleanor got what she wanted to have her story up there on the screen and then maybe it would like kick up in a few years because we have seen that with some movies that don't get the credit that they deserve and thank god dirty dancing got the right acclaim at the right time to live on in history but at that moment in 1987 even the production that was backing up the movie were like you know if it fails 
you can't be too sad. No one really wanted this movie, and most of that was due to the fact that it was a 17-year-old girl with a 30-something-year-old dude. That can definitely raise some eyebrows, like, is this promoting rebellion? Is this promoting some kind of, like, a... a an age gap relationship. It was kind of tough. And Eleanor's like, you're reading too much into it. Please don't do that. She set the record straight to just let the film be the film. But, uh, a lot of people still were worried, even though she kept trying to calm the, the tides and just let the film ride out and see what happened. Uh, Jennifer Gray's agent, went to a screening of Dirty Dancing with her, and she just sat there with her and went, Jennifer, this is not going to go. And Jennifer told her agent, just just give it some time. This is the screening. We don't know yet. It's not in the theaters yet. And then (laughs) when it hit theaters, it surpassed everyone's expectations. And it went on to gross $200 million. And Jennifer Grey, being the very polished, respectful woman that she is, she could have rubbed this into her agent's face. I mean, I would have. But she just said, see, look what happened. It became a hit. You were worried for nothing. And looking at that moment in the uh, anniversary feature when Jennifer Grey was reiterating and retelling that story, and it's wonderful that she was one of the supporters behind Eleanor Bergstein's vision, that even though... She had her work cut out for her. She had some cheerleaders backing her up like, come on, girl, we're going to get this movie out there. Everyone put their heart, their soul, and their physical endurance into this movie. Even though it's looked upon as like a cheesy dancing movie, it's a, it's a cheesy movie, but to the heart of it, it's a dancing movie with a lot of intense dance moves. Everyone had to work their ass off to get the dance moves just right. Everyone was pushed to a physical endurance. And, of course, without mention, with Patrick Swayze having a background in dance, he kept working and working and working these dance moves. And in the final scene of the movie, the final dance number, that was where Patrick officially found his limit on what he can do, as he really kind of found out that he was getting up there at his age. When he jumped off the stage, his knee just went, popped. And he looked at the director and went, I can't do that again. I heard my knee. It's gone. I can do the rest of the dance sequences, but I can't do any more jumps. And the director was like, you know what? That is A-OK. <laughs> we, we're not going to push you through a physical extent again. As much as dancing is looked upon as this very fun and graceful thing, it can be one of the most physically painful things that someone can do. If it is a certain move that people can't do, and just like I mentioned with Patrick Swayze uh, learning that he wasn't as spry as he was in his 20s, that it really does take a toll on your health. We look at some things like action movies or thriller movies or hell, even the horror movies that have physical endurance, but then you have something like Dirty Dancing that really took this to a sport level. After the success of Dirty Dancing, there's no doubt that all of the actors, well, let's just say some of the actors went on to have a great career. Jerry Orbach, who played Baby's Dad, is most 
notably remembered as the detective from Law and Order, or from my childhood, I remember him as Lumia from Beauty and the Beast. Jennifer Grey had a so-so oh, career in the 90s. Patrick Swayze, of course, uh, he got ghosted, but in the best way possible with Ghost, and had a very good successful string of action movies, drama movies. Uh, the woman who played Baby's mother, uh, gosh, Emily Bishop. She, of course, is known for many households as Emily Gilmore, so she definitely had a good career afterwards. There were some losses along the way in um, the years for some of the people that died after the movie. To my surprise, the dickhead waiter did not have a long life after the movie. He died a couple of years later due to a drug overdose. Some of the older actors have passed on. But Dirty Dancing always lives on, and we've always had the time of our life. But some people had to let that time go on. There has been the remakes. There was the sequel that came out in 2004 called Havana Nights that has no connection to Dirty Dancing whatsoever, only has a cameo from Patrick Swayze as dance instructor, like, excuse me, that is not how you use your Patrick Swayze. <sighs> okay. Maybe the knee thing was brought up again and he's like, nope, I'm good. I just want to dance and leave. My knee is still gone. And on top of the bizarre sequel, there was the uh, abysmal TV movie that no one likes to remember. It's not worth your time. It, it, it gave a valiant effort, but it's not Dirty Dancing. But that's not the weirdest thing out of the sequel and the TV movie. There exists a TV series of Dirty Dancing that came out in 1989. No one knows this exists and it's strange because it, uh, it doesn't have bad ratings. The last I remembered when I looked it up, it had like a 5.9 out of IMDb. So it was like passable that it's not going to be, uh, memorable, but it wasn't dishonorable. As much as they're valiant efforts, they're just not dirty dancing while they're trying to carry on the story of dirty dancing. With the way the movie ends, it's okay that we never really got to see what happened afterwards. It's nice to know that Baby went on to go to the Peace Corps, and Johnny's still going to be a dancer, but at least he's going to be respected more as a dancer and getting to do the things that he wants and having to bend to the will of certain men and having to bend to the will of their wives, too! So it's kind of nice that you know what their future is going to be like without having to see it. It's one of those very imaginative endings. And the one thing that's beautiful about it is that it's lived on in history that we really do get to see the future of Dirty Dancing. The movie still lives on in our pop culture, and no one ever gets tired of it. Even though there was that little uneasy feeling because of the storyline, people don't overthink this movie like it could have gone. It's one of those rare things that we don't really apply enough to our movies now that we're assessing movies differently to read between the lines, look between the layers, and we kind of forget to enjoy the movie. Yes, there are some movies out there that have not aged well and some that have gotten canceled, but there are just some movies that don't really have all those intense layers to it and it just presented the way it is. 
It didn't do anything obscenely bad. It was a product of its time, but it was not a bad product of its time at all because it was echoing the 1960s. So it's one of those movies that you just enjoy for what it presented and no one has ever not enjoyed Dirty Dancing. It's a movie that will always let us have the time of our life. So before I close out this episode, during the production of the recording, I was informed by one of my friends who is an avid listener of the Screen Queen show that Dirty Dancing is one of their favorite movies. So I just wanted to say a special shout out to my friend Ams and all of their support for the show and... I am so glad that I caught this information early on so I could be able to give them the proper shout-out to be associated with one of their favorite movies, and it's nice to have that opportunity. I love you so much. You are amazing. Thank you so much for listening to the show, Ams, and I hope that you enjoyed the episode as much as I loved being able to talk about it. So that is officially a wrap on the Dirty Dancing episode. Uh... I'm really glad that I got to start off the Valentine's Day series with a a very easy episode because of how I got to recollect, I got to recount what Dirty Dancing means to me, and there's so much interesting information I got to spiel about, so thank you so much for being here in this episode to hear about the time of everyone's life back in 1987. Okie dokie. So with that mentioned... So now is the time to find out what the next episode is going to be on the Valentine's Day special for the Screen Queen. Okie dokie. So I got some suggestions in here. Let me just get this shaken up really good. Oh, that one fall out. Nope, got to put that back in. Got to be fair. Okay, I got one. No, I got two. No, I got one. Motherfucker! I knew this was going to (laughs) happen. I made a ghost joke, and now, what has been said, so it shall be. The next episode of The Screen Queen for the Valentine's Day series is going to be... Ghost. I find that fitting, considering next week is Valentine's Day. (laughs) So even though this episode is coming in right at Valentine's Day week, we get to kind of go into, like, post-Valentine's Day stuff with this... This episode, that'll be fun. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Screen Queen. If you would like to catch up with me in between uploads, you can find me on my Instagram at the Queen of the Screen. And if you would like to find out more about my book series, Inglorious Inc., you can find it on Amazon or hit me up at my other Instagram at Parish Passages. Okie dokie. I've had the time of my life. I've had the time of my day. I'm going to go sit my ass down. (laughs) I hope everyone has a wonderful Valentine's Day. And this is your host signing off. Bye-bye!